You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. And it's brought to you by Ion Blue, providing 100% renewable carbon neutral energy for your electric vehicle. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to the latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Nigel Morris, and I'm your guest host for this week. I'm here because I've owned an electric vehicle for several, in fact, for more than 10 years now, and the challenges of reliable and fast charging are always on my mind. Like many owners, I predominantly charge at home, but when I want to stretch the legs on my live wire when I'm traveling... I need reliable DC fast charging. And as many stories have highlighted recently, the reliability and the capacity of the relatively small number of charges in Australia is not so great yet. Recently, I stumbled across a fascinating YouTube video about some new EV charging technology that is starting to roll out across the world. And quite frankly, it blew my mind. Big shout out to Dr. Ewan McTurk from Plug Life TV, by the way. I hadn't thought much about what the problems were or how they might be overcome, but discovered a Finnish company called Kempower, who clearly have thought about this problem. So I reached out to Kempower CEO Tommy Ristamaki to learn more about the lessons they've learned and the new technological approach they are using. Tommy, welcome to The Driven. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, happy to be here. Good on you, mate. Uh, talking across the world, I, I love this idea of um, you know uh, sharing ideas and learning from lessons, particularly from countries like Finland, where EVs are so much more common than they are here in Australia. So to kick off, tell us about Kempower. What's your history? How did you end up in the EV charging industry? And, and, and give us an introduction to what Kempower does. Okay, Kempao is a, is a DC fast charging manufacturer. Actually, the company, as its current form on, on 100% focus on, on EV charging, was founded in 2017. But basically, we our background is from a company group who has worked with power electronics for the last 70 years. So surprisingly, we are coming from the welding industry, the group where we, we belong. So mm-hmm. actually... When I joined the company as well, I was not sure that can can a welding company come into fast charging. But if you look at from a technical point of view, a welding machine, modern one, and a fast charger, they are almost the same thing. And what's positive about welding is that you have to really survive harsh environments and work outside and work in oil rigs wherever you have really bad conditions. So the reliability is, is increased by using the same ideas what, what's been used there. So that's that's basically our background, and from the point of view as well, uh, we made sure also that the employees, especially the R and D and sales, that they become EV drivers very fast to really understand what's the need. <laughs> I love it. There's there's a very high uptake of EVs in Finland, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's getting there. Uh, actually, when I when I started in Kempau in 2019, being working with e-mobility more, more than 10 years at that time, uh, I thought Finland will never never make it. But let's say uh, the, the last two years has been crazy. But of course, we cannot reach Norway yet. Uh, what's our dear neighbor yeah. there, which 
uh, huge number, five million people and seven or eight hundred thousand EVs. So that's that's a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> but we are also, uh, let's say, focusing a lot in Norway, and I call it the future lab of the world. What the world looks looks like when when the EVs become reality. Yeah, I love it. And and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you you've you've actually got some of your equipment is already in use down here in Australia too, right? True, true. Uh, one of the actually the first deliveries in 2019 went to Australia, but those went to underground mining, so you probably don't see it every day. Ah, so, really? <laughs> ah, charging some of the electric vehicles you, with the work underground. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. Ah. Excellent, excellent. Well, you're right. That that does bode well for the uh, how tough your products are. So, so, so let's jump in then. I, I stumbled across the Plug Life video a few weeks ago that described your unique approach to EV charging, and it was enlightening to say the least. Because I, I actually didn't realise how many problems there are with traditional EV charging station design. So, let's set the scene for our listeners um, about some of the inherent design and functional constraints this introduces and 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 how how you guys solve them um it, it was beautifully described i thought as clever electron juggling so so what's the problem that you guys are trying to solve we are trying to solve that uh, basically when you are building EV charging stations today and uh, uh, people are taking the early approach that you have a, like a standalone chargers and you can charge maybe one or two cars Mm-hmm. And that is problematic when the EVs become the real norm, uh, because uh, if you have only one or two, let's say, charging points in a location, people have to wait for that. And it, it, it's really now a common term. I'm referring to Norway again, that they, they don't talk about range anxiety anymore. They talk about queue anxiety, that there is use in the charging stations and you have physical fights in there if somebody cuts the line and it is quite one of if you have tens of cars waiting waiting to charge that's that's quite drastic situation and we try to look at it from the point of view that the grid connections in certain locations where you have EV charging are limited yep. and uh, it is our duty actually to give solution how you can utilize this limited connection in the best possible way and and share it with as many cars as possible, but at the same time also take care that the charging times don't get too long. So that's looking at our modular solution where you actually share the power uh, in a clever way that you can actually change the charging power by the uh, need of the vehicle. And this was this was something that I didn't even realize was an issue um, because and, until I watched the video, uh, and and it explained all of these things. So so let's dive into it. And and I think one of the uh, one of the first things that is different about your um, technology is the modular nature of of the of of the way that you've designed your chargers. And and they use twenty five kilowatt DC chargers that can dynamically share the energy as it's needed. Right. So that's that's kind that's kind of the fundamental difference between you know we've got some big ev charging manufacturers down here and they build a a big tower that has a 50 kilowatt ac connection in and then produces 50 kilowatts of dc out and that's about it but you guys have kind of redesigned the whole way that that's that's designed and built right yeah yeah it's a completely idea that we we thought about the charger actually separate unit and then the 
distribution units, what we call satellites, which actually uh, give the power to the cars, that they can use the same core charger in every spot on the on the charging lot, charging uh, parking lot. I mean, and or charging lot could be a new new term as well for those. Uh, but it's the idea that uh, cars don't actually charge at the same power all the time. It's, it depends also on temperatures. Yes. Uh, it's depending on car type. It's uh, depending on what spot you are in the charging curve. If you are driving an Audi e-tron, maybe have a more stable curve, but most of the cars are actually dropping the, uh, the power needs uh, as, as the charging goes along. And uh, this is kind of waste if you cannot use that, that power. Or the power capacity for, for, for another vehicle that, that might be for sitting another there, vehicle, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that that's the thing that that really blew me away. I hadn't realised that 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 the energy. I assumed that the energy would be shared and that it would be available, but of course, when I when I had it described to me, I realised that that's not the case. And and I I, I um have has started to learn about the different shape of those charge profiles from different vehicles that you talk about. And, and, you know, all different vehicles have different charge profiles. Some, you know, ramp up slower and sit at, sit at a flat charge rate. Others ramp right up and then slowly tail off. And everyone's got their own theory about, you know, what's going to work best for their vehicle. So you're, you're having to deal with all these different charging profiles, plus all the everything else, everything else that's coming along. Okay. So, so the, the the core principle is that by having this kind of modular approach in smaller chunks to delivering charge, what that means is that uh, rather than tying up the asset uh, all for one vehicle, irrespective of whether you're using 100% of that or not, you can you can actually ramp it down or ramp it up to meet the needs of different vehicles as they're coming in and out, depending on what they need. Yeah, yeah, correct. Right. So... Now, connection capacity was the other thing that relates to this, right? And and this is the this is the um, uh, the fear mongering that we hear so often. Oh, you know, we're going to be swamped. Do I see the other day a post online? Someone said, "Oh, it's going to be great for the grid when we get this plague of electric vehicles. They're going to drag the grid voltage down. You know, they're all going to be using energy at the same time." And you know, blah 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 blah. Uh, things that we know aren't to be true, but it's the it's the logical, simple version of of how people think uh, the world is going to evolve if we've got millions and millions of electric vehicles out there. And of course, the 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 network owners, the the grid infrastructure owners, they think in an old fashioned kind of way as well. And they 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 sell you a transformer, and they say, well, you've you're allowed to pull half a megawatt or whatever it is. And and so how does your design work into those capacity limits and, and, and optimize those capacity limits that network operators enforce? Yeah, it is the network actually. I'm now talking about the Scandinavian network, which I know pretty well. And I know that Australia has also quite modern electrical grid in most of the places. So grid itself can handle the EVs. That, that's been proven so many times by by even scientists and, and researchers but uh, the problem is the signal side has has a limited connection so you have a certain size of a transformer in the in the size especially if you go into let's say supermarkets or or hypermarkets or gas stations whatever connection they have and it could could be also difficult to enlarge it 
uh, without a limit. And however, you, however big connection you have it there, when the EVs are getting more, more and more normal, uh, the connection will be limiting, limiting the operation, especially if you don't do something clever. And, and the idea is that uh, you can share this power as good as possible. Sometimes, uh, theoretically at least, you could hit the limit in this kind of case as well, especially if you have, a, for example, 600 kilowatt charger divided by eight. Theoretically, you could hit the limit, but when looking at our cloud system, you actually quite rarely do so. Mm -hmm. So, so in, in real life, uh, when you look at the cars coming in, they don't all come at the same time. They come in different time points. They are different cars at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's actually 98% when we look at the very busy Norwegian site. So there was only 2% of the time that the system was limiting the charge power. Wow. Because you could actually divide the power again and again and again. Yep. So everybody who comes in gets the best charge they can be at the time given. And you can do, use different logics. You could have this, uh, Scandinavians love this democratic split because they think they need it because of course we are democratic countries that you have to do even split. Mm -hmm. But I would actually prefer to have, as an EV driver, would want to have this first come first serve mm -hmm. logic what we offer as well. We have some customers now using it and I think they got really good results. So that you get as many cars ready as fast as possible, then give the power to the next one. Yeah. So you can roll out the site fast. Yeah, yeah. And then you are not also so much concerned if somebody is hogging the power for, let's say, extra half an hour because you can resell the power or you re, let's say, give the power to the next EV. Yep. I'm involved in a in a uh, a network uh, panel actually as a as a sort of you know as an EV owner and someone who's been around the fringes of electric vehicles for for a long long time and um, I know they're really struggling with this challenge you know and and traditionally they say well you know we're just going to assume that you're going to pull a half a megawatt all the time and so you got to pay for everything that is required for you to have. A hundred, uh, half a megawatt available, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we know you might not use that, but we don't know. And, you know, electric vehicles could take off, so you've got to pay. So <laughs> I think, um, you know, the intelligent um, management of that capacity uh, is something not only that's good for consumers, but it's also good for networks because it allows them to to understand what's going on too. So, so tell me a little bit more about the power sharing. How, how, how does your system work out? Um, you know, and, and effectively share the power between um, the dispensers more effectively. And and does this mean, does this actually mean you get faster charging for most users on one of your systems compared to a traditional system? Yeah, normally you, you get uh, more number of cars uh, filled up faster. If you have an individual car, individual charger, that's, uh, will, the performance would be the same. But basically, the idea is that you have more EVs. Mm -hmm. And we have been thinking it all the time that uh, it's nice to have when you have a first EV in a village and, and you can charge your one EV and, and then, then you are very happy if you have one charger in there. But as long as 20 or 30 people want to charge at the same time, you have to have a, let's say, more clever system. We are building today in, uh, I would say, in Finland, we have uh, normally four or six chargers in a system yep. that, that, that's installed in a gas station. But in Norway, we are looking today 16 or even 32 in a single site. Wow. I mean, having megawatts of power and, and that's coming 
sometimes with our customers also purchasing batteries at the same time to have a battery support charging where, where the, let's say the connection might be limiting or solar power. This is a combination of things. Uh, but what we are bringing into this is, is that the charging side is a, is a one system mm -hmm. that works as, as one entity. And it's not made out of individual items that work separately. Even you could have in there some power sharing or you could do some energy management. But in, in here where you use the capacity freely to, let's say, every EV, you get a better performance. I've experienced that. I have to go back a step and say I can only dream of the day that we've got anywhere in Australia where you can actually charge 32 electric vehicles simultaneously. That's the that's the future world for us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might actually see that in public transportation first. We are building now sites where you have more than 130 DC chargers in single sites for public transportation. Wow. Because for public transportation, the so-called home charging is also done with the DC. Of course. And then the connections are up to 6 or 8 megawatts per site. Wow. So the, then the power sharing and peak power control is even more important. Critical. Because that's a huge yeah. cost. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I, it, it reminds me of two, two real-world examples. I know uh, Sydney Airport here in New South Wales, where I am, has a fleet of electric buses that shuttle people from the car park to the terminal. And uh, I have had a look there and they, they probably have 10 or 15 charging bays there, I think, which must make it actually one of the, one of the bigger ones in our country. And the, the other experience I've had is, you know, traveling around on my electric motorbike on my live wire. Uh, I, I, I've had the, the, the sort of the other end of the experience, I guess, where there was one charger in this location and it was, it's a really important location for me because my range is, a bit more limited on a motorcycle and and I turned up there and there was a family there that that had a Tesla um and uh they um they were kind of oblivious uh to anything <laughs> you know they 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 really didn't you know they weren't excited about their Tesla they weren't excited about what it meant to charge or discharge or who might be waiting um they faffed around and messed around and 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 had no concept of the fa of the fact that I was patiently waiting eagerly waiting for them to get off the charger so that I could actually top up and continue my trip and um so you know I think there's a social aspect to this as well like you talked about of people you know, as as electric vehicles start to roll out into the mass market, we're going to get naturally consumers who are they don't care. They're not interested in whether it's an EV or not. It's just a car, and if I need to fuel it, I'll fuel it, and you can bloody wait, mate. So, um, anyway, it's, yeah. <laughs> these are all the things that we're going to learn over time. So, one of the other things I learned was, of course, and I had again, it's the beautiful, beautiful simplicity of really diving into this issue is that of course current limits on dispensers and connectors combine with different battery voltages and that has an impact on how much power can be delivered and and presumably that causes waste too right because you've got all sorts of different vehicles yeah. with all sorts of different voltages and and there's there's a whole lot of waste tied up in there somewhere right yeah and it's a difficult sometimes even for engineers not electrical engineers think about it. it electricity is pretty simple you normally if power equals voltage times current yep. that's all you have to know yep. and if the voltage is lower then you need more current and if the current is limited you will get less power 
So this is <laughs> this is also also people are mixing the things and people are mixing energy and power as well. Uh, very many times that they are I, I charge with 50 kilowatt hours of power, but that's not power. That's energy. If you get 50 kilowatt hours, your battery is normally full. Yeah, this is uh, quite quite normal facts, but. It is the efficiency of how you connect, and it, it also makes it easier for new people to come in there when they don't need to think about others so much. If you have enough connectors, you can get car connected. Uh, we have also a lot of customers in the countries where the EVs are not so popular, for example, like Norway. And they, are, they could buy the system with, uh, let's say, less power capacity because it's modular, because they see that uh, this is what we need today. Mm -hmm. We need the power, let's say 150 kilowatt, and then four dispensers. Yep. That's normally you hit the limits more, but that's okay for the customer because they 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 made a limited investment. But it's also re really easy to upgrade. You add the add the cassettes, the power cassettes, the power modules, and you have basically after five minutes you can increase the power by 50 kilowatts, 100 kilowatts, whatever you wanted to do. So this is also that the system can grow with the need. Right, and you don't need to install new new hardware. Right, so the, 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 just to, to give the listeners a, a a kind of visualization of how your system works, rather than having all the DC conversion in the in the charger uh, that that where the where the cable is so sitting out on the on, in in the car park, you have basically a rack mounted pillar, a box that sits kind of next to the transformer where you slot in all your DC modules, right? And and and, and so that's yeah. what you're talking about, about that expandability. You can start with just, you know, four or six modules in that box. And then if you want to expand the capacity of your side, as long as the transformer can handle it, you can just have someone come out and just add some more modules. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, correct. I love it. Correct. I love it. Expandability and modularity is something that this industry is clearly going to need because it's, you know, it's going through this massive growth and adaption and change all the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, just coming back to the issue around um, EVs, you know, and, and how they behave, are you, you know, um, are you seeing trends um, around what those charge profiles look like? Do you, do you think that, you know, we're going to have this wide range of, of, of vehicles with a, all having their own different charge profiles? Or do you think that's going to sort of, you know, focus down onto a small number of charge styles? What are, what are you seeing there? I, I think it will be, it will vary. Yeah. Because there's, a, especially you have the short distance and long distance cars. And then it's a, mm. about, uh, mm. let's say, the price ranges of the cars. Mm. That has a lot to do with You have probably the mid-range just to get a more competitive pricing on the market. But I see a need also for these short-range cars. You have the city cars. You have, a, yep. let's say, affordable cars. And then you have a medium class, which is called some family cars, cars which can drive, let's say, 400 kilometers range and... Then you have the luxury and the long-range ones, which are expensive because you want to have that. But the, once the charging network is actually serving you, I don't know if you really need a thousand-kilometer EV uh, because you will need to have a break anyway. Sure, you need to eat. You need to go to have the have your bio breaks. You need to uh, have a, have your and well, we, we Finns are big on coffee, so we we need to drink coffee every <laughs> every hour. <laughs> You need your coffee break, and if you have enough power in a charger, that's 
fine to get you to the next next point. to the next coffee. So that's also also seen in uh, let's say more advanced market. I'm I'm talking maybe too much about Norway, but we see that the Finns uh, in Finland you are charting maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes yep. uh, on the chart. What we see from the cloud. Yep. Norwegians, it's a little bit more than 10 minutes, 11 minutes oh, really? uh, on average. They actually see that they need to get to the next location. Right. They are not basically filling the batteries over 80% ever. Right. They... Because you see it's enough to get to the next location. You get to home or you get your... Norway is a little bit better, of course, because every hotel and everybody has in uh, their home AC charging. So right. That's... Uh, it's just to get you to the next location and you're fine yeah. to accept that. That's a really interesting observation, you know, because I, having done only a tiny bit of touring on my bike, I I kind of had that experience myself where I went, ah, oh, I could probably I could probably keep going, but I might stop and have a break, and I'll just I'll just top up, I'll just put another twenty or thirty percent in, and that's enough to get me to the next stop. And I realized that if I if I actually change my thinking, instead of going, well, I got to go from zero to a hundred, and I got to wait and round until it's full, and you know, blah blah blah. Instead of doing that, stop more frequently and just do these small charges. And 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 when you yeah. when you have confidence in your vehicle and confidence in the electric charging infrastructure that's that's there and the availability of it, um, you know, your, your behavior changes a little bit. It's really fascinating. Yeah, and, and, a, and a one tip for the EV drivers, I don't know, it's, it's a shame that you cannot do it in all cars, but in my Tesla, I immediately changed, the, let's say, the mileage uh, to percentage because uh, I think the range anxiety is smaller when you see the percentage because that's what you're used with your mobile phone. Yep. You, are, you know that something works still at 10%. Yep. But if you see like a, a 20 miles range there, you start getting nervous. Fantastic. So, so it, it eases the pain, let's say, and you tr- start trusting, <laughs> trusting your, your vehicle more. But it feels bad when you see that I only have like a 50 kilometers or 25 miles to drive. So it's... Uh, it somehow feels bad. Yeah, we've got in my wife's EV. You can only see the range, and it. Uh, I can understand her when she gets more nervous about it. <laughs> it's an interesting psychological adaptation that we've got to make to, you know, getting used to uh, a different way of thinking in electric vehicles, isn't it? We've got we got to um, go to a break in a second, but l- let me just touch on the efficiency question. Thinking simply, you know, using modular DC chargers at higher capacity factors, presumably instead of you know, one large one that's really at the peak of its capacity load curve would that would unleash some efficiency improvements too, right? And 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 does that sort of imply that you know using a modular approach like yours might uh, lead to uh, better overall efficiency and better power factor and and therefore lower operating costs for plant owners? Yeah, it is actually good that you can use the individual small charging blocks uh, in their optimal optimal spot. So that helps. But actually, the biggest difference what it makes is that uh, when you look at the charging owners, they can use the whole system more efficiently. We calculated that you can uh, with lower 50 kilowatts lower power, you can still get a 20 or 30 percent better sales rate for your electricity because you, it's more usable. You are not basically losing the capacity. Oh, yes, uh, because yes, one, yes. once one car actually hogs, so, so it has a bigger effect. 
Of course, the efficiency is nice. Uh, you get it uh, to use the equipment at the more optimal point, but it's the key there is how to keep your capacity sellable. Yes, of course. I get what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I like that. Oh, cool. Okay, so the efficiency is good, but but having it available for people to use when they need it and if they've got the power, uh, if, they, if they've got the ability to dump it into their car and the other car doesn't need it, then, you know, you're selling more kilowatt hours, which is how station owners yeah. make their money. I, I That's an, a, a great little insight. Tommy, we need to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. We're all looking to do our part in reducing our impact on the planet and buying an electric vehicle is a huge step towards minimising your carbon footprint. However, most of the electricity that powers your electric vehicle comes from fossil fuels, contributing to climate change. Iron Blue is here to change that. We allow you to offset your car's electricity usage with clean and green renewable energy. Our low-cost subscription is quick and easy to set up. Iron Blue will calculate your vehicle's annual grid electricity usage via a simple questionnaire. Then, we will acquire an amount of Renewable Energy Certificates, or RECs, which represent this equivalent energy usage sourced from 100% renewable energy projects, such as solar and wind. This means your vehicle's use can now be completely carbon neutral and support a renewable energy future. At Iron Blue, we're excited that this future is not far away. But in the meantime, we are here to help. All right, we're back after, uh, and thank you to our sponsors for supporting the program. Uh, fascinating discussion. Tommy, thank you so much for starting your week out on a Monday morning and joining us uh, uh, down under in Australia. Now, as a solar guy, I'm, I'm familiar with system designs using high-voltage DC power. Um, I'm, I'm, and am I right that your charge stations must be using you know, if you've got your tower with all your DC modular gear over sitting by the transformer and you've got your dispensers, you must be shifting high voltage DC to each dispenser instead of AC. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. So uh, does this increase cabling costs and safety protection costs? I know dealing with high voltage DC can be very tricky. It's, It's subject to arc faults and all sorts of other things that you don't necessarily get in AC. We've seen this in the solar industry. So, you know, I'm interested in, 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 in what the installation impacts are and, and also, you know, for electricians who are more familiar, generally speaking, with AC rather than high voltage DC, how have you dealt with these issues and, and you know, does it change the, the sort of economics of making an installation happen? Yeah, I don't know how, how, where to start. I have many opinions actually on top on top of that. But system arcing is something we know a lot about. Uh, we are, we are coming from a welding group, so you love the we know how how to uh, how to <laughs> we we love it up and we know how to control it. But here we know also how to prevent it. Ah. So that's uh, we. I also say that our, our friends on the on the other side of 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 the campus here where we are sitting. Uh, uh, they are just uh, making arcs, and we are preventing arcs. But otherwise, we are we are the same. Um, this is. Uh, I could also take the marketing aspect of saying that if you move DC, you need only two cables, and for AC, you need three or four. Sure. So in in a copper costs, uh, this was. But DC needs a slightly higher square millimeter, right. bigger cable size. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's. Uh, you need less wires, but you need a little bit thicker ones. But I think it evens out okay. 
and you can use actually standard cabling for there. Sure. It just needs needs about the change is uh, what square millimeter you need for the certain power. Of course. So when you do it right, it's not that difficult. Okay. Okay. People in in the the electricians are mixing things a bit uh, because they are comparing like the fuse sizes and things. Uh, DC and AC have a little bit different rates. Yeah, they behave a little certain bit differently. Yeah. Are different. So there you get some clashes with the rules because people are thinking if you have thousand volts DC that they apply the same rules as thousand volts AC, which is not true. Yep. 1000 volts AC is close to 600, 690 volts AC. So the rules should be read a little bit differently. So of course that cre creates some uncertainty with electricians who are used to dealing only with AC, but uh, in, in practice, the installation doesn't make it that different. Okay. Okay, good. And I mean, we've certainly overcome that in solar, but it does take, it, it takes a little bit of, you know, you've, we've, we've got special program, uh, training programs for, you know, solar electricians who deal in the in the thousand volt um, DC range as well, and you know, there's certainly high voltage transmission in some parts of of Australia as well. And I don't know anymore. I think people are to talking also about converting the whole electrical system to DC because humankind could finally do that. I think there are several benefits of having at least the microgrids done with the DC. Uh, I used to be in the uh, in the electric vehicle side, and we did all the systems with DC, of course, inside the vehicle when you have a battery or supercapacitors or whatever you have. So dealing with DC, this is also the trend coming into ships now, and people are seeing the benefits now that uh, power electronics can handle the systems better. Yes. Uh, humankind started with DC grids. Actually, the first systems in 1800-something were, were DC. Yep. And then AC came came along, and you could make uh, AC motors and and things which were really nice. And some wise guy decided that uh, there must be a fixed frequency to the AC, and and then it all, it all <laughs> went south and it became difficult. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think with the modern electricity grids, you cannot change anymore the whole topology. But uh, I would see a lot of benefits from going to DC. DC. Well, well, if it's any consolation, when I started out in solar 30 years ago, uh, I lived in a little, little home that was fed by a 120-volt DC microgrid uh, providing backup power, and, and we, had a, we had a technology guru in the business that I was working for that was, uh, was convinced 30 years ago uh, of the advantages of high voltage DC and and uh, all the benefits of it and the simplicity of it, but of course we didn't, as you say, we didn't have the technology there uh, to make it uh, cost effective at that time. But I'm with you. I think there's some great advantages. We're we're running out of time quickly, but I've got a couple more a couple more questions for you, Tommy. It's been a fascinating discussion. Um, one of the things I have to say that I was most excited about, and it's always the the, the simple things, but on practical issues, I noticed that your dispensers have much longer, more flexible cables that are overhead rather than, you know, draping across the ground, like a, like a traditional fuel bowser cable or pump cable, a pump hose that, that, that hangs overhead rather than draping on the ground. So I just want to thank you for finally solving that problem because I can't believe how impractical many of the, the cabinets are that, are that are out there. And a brilliant and, and simple innovation that I saw in another video about your technology, which is a QR code to take the starting uh, to take the charging status to your phone now this might seem like a small detail but these things make a huge difference and 
as a live wire owner, I, I don't have a sophisticated app. And as we move into, like you say, there's short range city cars, there'll be family cars, there'll be long range cars that are high priced. But as we move into more and more basic cars, they won't have sophisticated systems on them so that you can remotely access the car and see where it's up to. And you've solved that by allowing you to really simply just snap a QR code off the charger and uh, remotely see where your vehicle's at. And I just, I want to, I want to test, we have to get one of these in Australia so that I can have the, have the flexibility and the comfort of sitting in a cafe where I'm nice and warm and knowing the charge status of my bike. So this is a huge bonus. And these small things seem to be something that you guys have really spent a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, it, it comes from the idea that uh, we wanted our engineers to become EV drivers, and we we supported that from the company side because we saw that uh, important that our engineers, when they are doing the charges, that they are developing something they actually like themselves. Nice. And when you look at it from the EV drivers aspect, then you start getting ideas better. Now, I mean, probably don't yeah. have enough data of Livewire yet, but the, when we have a common EV car that has charged a lot. Uh, our backend yeah. also recognizes the car by the charging curve and can give a better estimation to that car in minutes. We get to a lot, around one minute accuracy today, which the cars themselves cannot do because we take into account the battery temperatures, uh, which we estimate from the initial uh-huh. uh, parameters of charge and based on the historical data. We are still getting about half a million kilometers per charge data per day. And we are comparing that to uh, that every charge to that. So basically we are giving now even more better than just uh, the percentage value. We are giving a minute estimate that uh, let's say 15 minutes, you are at 80% and then uh, in half an hour, maybe full. People are also understanding better that after 80, 80%, the car gets slower when you see the data in, in front of you. And in 15 minutes, I'm in 80%, but in, I need half an hour to get 100%. So yeah. they are inclined to leave faster. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's right, which me, me provides access for the next person to come along and charge too. I love it. These simple things are important. Now, uh, one more small thing, oh, no, just on another practical issue, where are you Where are you heading? I've heard talk of liquid-cooled cables and, you know, trying to, again, drive the efficiency and all those kinds of things. Do you think we're going to see liquid-cooled charging cables anytime soon? Yeah, from our side as well, I, I think we are. Uh, I don't see that that a big issue with uh, maybe in down under when you have a higher temperatures than we have. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I would think that maybe the, let's say, the charging pins, which are actually the connector pins is, is the critical point that you have to cool them down. Oh, really? And, uh, so that you don't melt the vehicle side connector. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that wouldn't be very nice. Um, uh, and uh, what we see that the need of the liquid cooled charging cable is coming also from when the trucks are moving to electricity. Ah, when you, you yes. have professional drivers who need to get high power fast. Yeah, yeah. So we are looking at today building our dispensers up to 400 kilowatts of charge to just to supply the, the first trucks. Brilliant. And then looking at if the megawatt charging will come later on as a standardized way. but. Uh, the trucks today are requiring fast and fast charts and time is money when you are moving logistics uh, it's a little bit different than the uh, private people they might take a break when they feel like it but the professional drivers must drive and then they have a consult breaks 
Of course. And, and you should actually fill in that time. Yeah. And yeah. you have a lot bigger batteries coming up when you have a long distance trucks, what we yeah. see now in Europe coming coming up. Yeah, we're starting to, we, we had a trade show not long ago and there was a couple of big semi-trailers there uh, with some pretty big numbers that they were going to be requiring for charging and, and, and capacity. So I can I can see that coming. As, I think the powers will go up and liquid cooling is one option because, like I said, um, it's not really the cable. You could make the cable thicker if you can still lift it. Yeah. But the, the, the problems with the CCS connectors is, is the pin temperature. Pins. Because they were actually designed originally for 125 amps, and now people try to push 700 amps through. So you can imagine <laughs> they get warm. So we have to find ways how to cool them down. Yeah, yeah. Like you guys have obviously thought about this a lot. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about complexity, reliability, and repairability. In, in Australia, we've had we get fires, we get drought, we and 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 for the last three or five months, we've had floods everywhere, and a lot of our charging stations have been damaged uh, by floods. Um, and and it it does strike me that you know one of the nice things about your design is that because you've got this modular function uh, functionality. You know, if 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 presumably if one or two modules go out, the rest of the modules still work. So you might not be, you might not have a hundred percent capacity in all your modules, but you'll still, if you lose one or two, the rest of the station works all right, rather than the whole lot being taken out. For my solar friends, that's kind of like the difference between string inverters and micro inverters. Uh, but on the flip side, you've got more complexity, you've got more, more connections. Um, tell me briefly about how you've grappled with this, and 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 one question that I know we always talk about in in solar inverters, which are similar technology and and have a similar heritage in welding. Often, um, are they hot swappable? Because you know, can you rapidly solve these types of problems in the field? Yeah, I think they were designed to be hot swappable, but not every country you can actually do that because of the safety regulations. Uh, once you open the cabinet, you are required to take the power down. And yep. if you want to run a system test, you, but basically if you flip off, flip off the switch for a single module, you could, you could change it and right. then push new, new one in and flip it back. So that, that was designed for that. But at least we are seeing that you cannot do it in every country because of the electricity rules and the electricians, let's say. Mm-hmm. Normal ways of working. It's not always a rule. They, they think that you have to cut down the power and. That's how it goes. But everything was designed to be modular in a way that if we are looking at our dynamic module, which is making the power distribution, or we're looking at the control module, which has the brains, or even the, let's say, uh, charging controller on, on, on the dispenser side, they are all modular that you can basically easily swap things and, and don't need to stop the whole system running. Wow. So this, this actually continues to go on. Excellent. Excellent. That's what I want to hear because they're, 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 the, they're the challenges that we're facing here in Australia right now in terms of getting getting repairable um, or sites repaired after they, you know, some sites are naturally going to, you know, get hit by a truck by accident or flooded by accident or whatever it may be. And the critical issue is how can we quickly uh, get these sites back online? So um, that that all sounds really, really fascinating. So two two final questions just to wrap up. We've talked a lot about the modular approach, and 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 I think it's a really fascinating approach. But are there applications where the sort of traditional AC chargers are, are still better suited? Yeah, at home. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. At home and, and basically when you have a personal car or like your case a motorcycle and you have hours of time to charge. Yep. I think that's that's an application. You have to ask when you are actually making a charger investment. I'm, I'm talking about the public market because that's our our game. We are not at the home charging that much. I, I think we have sold a couple of DC chargers to home to certain individuals who just want that, but that's uh yep. Uh, that's a rare case. It's when you have time to charge. Let's say home charging is a perfect example. You have a limited power connection to your home, and and, and then you have hours of time during the night. You would want to do that. Right. Or if you are solar, solar guy, I, I only have 22 panels on my roof. I want to also charge in the middle of the day at home because I want to use my solar power. Of course. If, if my air heat pump is, we don't have it as hot as. Australia, you have probably the highest consumption of electricity when it's the warmest day. And, and for us, it's the coldest day. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's a bit different. But uh, actually, you, you want to have... A, it's, it's a home market. It's definitely, if you have uh, hotels uh, that you have the whole night, maybe you would do AC charging because people never switch the cars to, during the night when you're staying at the hotel. So you would want to maximize uh let's say your investment to have as many plugs as you possible and that's done with ac because you are maybe talking about hundreds of dollars and not thousands of dollars right right but in the in in the space that you operate in in those you know a charging station where there's 5 10 20 30 charges you're telling me that you think the future is is in these kind of dc modular stations rather than the traditional ac style uh, i think so I think so. I would say some maybe big city supermarkets could still use AC, but people yep. will be more happy if you have DC there as well. Yep. Uh, so it's also if you, if it's from the point of view of, of if having a supermarket and you want to have charging, if you have a DC charging, it's more more likely to get the EV drivers coming there. So it's also to attract the customers sure. to come. Sure. AC charger doesn't attract any more anybody. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, you're it right. Is, it, it is hard today for me, at least, if, it, if it's the one without a cable. I have a hard time uh, because people are lazy. Uh, I'm as well. So it's sometimes difficult to get yourself to get the, get that cable from the back and actually connect it when you have a DC charger that has a cable or AC charger that has a cable already. I hear. I hear. All right. Last question. Uh, you, 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 you've really... Um been a wonderful guest Tommy thanks so much it's been really really interesting what's coming up next where, where do you think the next big innovations will be what are you guys working on what what's what's going to um what's going to be the next big thing that you you guys think will change in the next five years or so well yes I, I think that because of the trucks coming of course the charging powers will go up mm-hmm. I think we will see truck charging sites with megawatt power, uh, charging outputs mm-hmm so that's that's at least one for personal cars i I think we are seeing larger and larger sites and I, I our development is also how to build it even bigger and how to control bigger bigger sites and use our data what is gathering into into our back end because that's that's one big thing what we were working from from day one is how to use the data for a more clever clever approach big data. Big data. There's uh, always bonuses for big data, and and uh, being in the software space, so I I was getting excited. And it, it's hard sometimes to talk about what you can do with the data. Yeah. Today we are doing the thing. We are giving this 
uh, let's say, less than a minute accurate, let's say, minute scale estimates for the car drivers on their charging times. So there is really good good ways how to use the data. Next day, we could give actually a battery, let's say, condition estimates through the data as well. So these are very interesting topics what you can do when you when you actually get and you own the data. And we made it sure also that we are developing, let's say, the charge control and charge communication ourselves that we can utilize and get the every every part of the data to ourselves Brilliant. as well. Brilliant. Data gives you the chance to uh, to learn about what's going on and to um, take those next steps, doesn't it? Tommy, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, but sadly we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, Thank you. It was an interesting talk. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Well, friends, that's a wrap. My name is Nigel Morris. I'm Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics and obsessed with electric motorcycles. I hope you learned something about the world of electric vehicles and electric vehicle charging. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Ion Blue. Ion Blue provides 100% renewable carbon neutral energy for your electric vehicle. Many EVs are responsible for significant carbon emissions because Australia's grid is predominantly fossil fuel powered. But for as little as $6 a month, you can clean up your EV. Find out how. Go to ionblue.com.au.